Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 94, brought to you by the fine folks at oh, SB Nation snap! Okay. and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game who you heard scrambling to find out which episode Bo this Allen. is. <laughs> Bo Allen. Light work. <laughs> Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. I appreciate you asking. It's been a hot second. I just finished up my last stint of midterms ever yeah. in the history of my life. Knock wood, because if I ever go back to school, something awful has happened. <laughs> but that feels really good. It feels very good. I slept in, and I, I ate a hamburger, and I feel nice. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to actually, you know, have more time to do things. I went straight from, like, Lent and Easter to the NFL draft to midterms. And so, I don't remember what the world is and how it works. You know what I mean? Like, this is a whole new, a whole new world for me. So are you totally just skipping past broadcasting school now? Is that dream dead now that Ross Tucker has been named one of the preseason uh, commentators for the Eagles? I'm so upset because <laughs> me, BLG, me yeah, forever in, and Mike had had multiple discussions behind the scenes that says, okay, once we hit the offseason, what are we going to do for this like fake, but not actually fake, but mostly fake, sardonic farce of a game, like parody of like, let's make Ben the color commentator. And then they came out with Ross like a week before the NFL draft. I was like, dang, if you could have waited like three weeks, we would have had a video of me doing two minutes worth of Chris Collinsworth slide-ins, auditioning for the role. And now it's take it. But in all in all seriousness, Ross is the man. Yeah. Uh, really cool dude. His, his, his podcasts are great. I've been on for a couple of times. I don't know. Humble Rag. Well, no, I've just been like, I, like, I think, you know, he's brought me on a couple of times. Yeah. And it's a really good show. Uh, not correlated whatsoever. <laughs> um, but and then obviously he's got the great history uh, with the program as well. And I think he's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm very happy for him. But if any other teams uh, any other preseason color commentator, just hit me up, and I will make jokes and probably get you in trouble. Maybe that's what we'll have to do. We'll have to transition to that, getting you somewhere, getting your foot in the door somewhere, because you definitely have earned this opportunity right with all of my hard work and broadcasting <laughs> up to this point exactly exactly ben before we get into the main topic which is the roster and positional battles heading into training camp one more thing would you like to pour one out for the ends of the johnny holton and mercy maston eras i would because so there you go uh <laughs> that's my analysis beautiful nailed it welcome to kiss and solak show yeah. where we uh we know the Eagles roster, and we can tell you about it. Exactly. Mercy Mastin is the name of a Marvel character who becomes like a superhero nurse. 
That's all I've got for you. Sounds like Billy Batson. I can't believe they cut that. That's all I have. That's that's wild. That seems like yeah. a mistake. He is a high ceiling player. <laughs> so also some news as we transition into the actual topic of the show here. The Eagles have signed safety Blake Countess to a contract extension, yeah. which puts him under contract until 2020. It's a weird situation because he was with the Rams last year. And he was under contract through 2019, set to make $2 million. The Rams wanted Countess to take a pay cut. He apparently says no. They cut him. The Eagles pick him up and extend him, presumably to move some money around. But this is a guy that played 5% of the defensive snaps for the Rams in 2018. Also important to keep in mind, he was a sixth-round selection for the Eagles back in 2016. So they obviously obviously saw something in him. This feels like a, like a good transition to the main topic. So we're going to talk about training camp battles, roster spots. The safety position has a lot of names behind Rodney McLeod and Malcolm Jenkins, but also a lot of questions You've got Andrew Sandejo from the Vikings, who the Eagles sign, but they can cut and apparently recoup a fourth-round pick if they do so if he doesn't play 10 games or he's not active. It's something along those lines. The details are, are lost on me. They also had the waiver wire edition Godwin Iguabuikwe. Iguabuikwe? Iguabuikwe. Iguabuikwe? Let me, let me, I, I don't remember how to pronounce this. It was two years ago that he came out. I remember talking about him in the lead-up to the combine. Yeah, we did talk about him. So a waiver wire edition from the 49ers. Ben is going to look up the pronunciation on that, and he can he can show off his skills there. He's probably going to turn it into French. They also have DeAndre Hall, who they traded for last year with the Chicago Bears, couldn't see the field, and Trey Sullivan, who some loved. I personally thought his game against the Bears in the playoffs was overhyped just a little bit. And overall, I think he seriously struggled. So, Ben, with all of those names and no real answers, how do you think all of this shakes out? So, I'm seeing Igwe Buque, Igwe Buque, Igwe Buque. Igwe Buque. And the Bucks, the Buccaneers had him as Igwe Buque. <laughs> but I think it's Igwe Buque. Igwe Buque. Igwe Buque. Igwe Buque. Okay. Igwe Buque. No. It's tough to get, your, to get your lips around, but it's all right. Can you do that in your French accent, which is so uh, good? Fleur. No, I cannot. Okay. I would love to be able to ask Tim Houck about... You know, all of his young safeties and just simply ask like, okay, safety, notoriously difficult position to project on the college to the pros, hard to develop young players into starters, you know, off the record, is your approach just like get as many young bodies into the room and see if one hits? Because yeah. honestly, that's like how Seattle does it, right? The model has been for three years now, two years with Corey Graham, one year with Andrew Sandejo, two starters, bunch of young guys, bring in a third veteran, if none of the young guys you know, makes, uh, takes the role, right? right? Graham, if memory serves, do not quote me on this. If memory serves in 2016 was a relatively late addition in the process, yeah. right? He was not like a, a quickly acquired free agent. 20, 2018, we know he was brought in like in the middle of training camp when like Trey Sullivan, Jeremy Reeves couldn't win out a job. And Graham was brought in because they were like begging Jalen Watkins to take the spot and he just never took the spot. Yeah, perfect, right? Jalen Watkins, there you go. This year now, it's Sandejo is signed, but obviously, as we know, and as I'm sure we'll discuss, Sandejo is a huge swing on the compensatory pick format. Right. Which we should, if we want to break that down right now, Andrew Sandejo currently counts against the Eagles comp pick formula. When you look at calculating the comp picks, you don't look at what round the picks come in first. What you look at is simply the amount of comp players that a team has lost. And the amount of comp pick players the team has gained, right? A team that, that has come back for them. For the Eagles, I believe they've lost four in terms of players who have already been signed. And they've brought two in, in Andrew Sadejo and LJ Ford. And so accordingly, they're only going to get two comp picks back because they lost four comp players who have signed elsewhere and they've gained two. Yeah. That being said, 
Sendejo, because of the size of his contract, is only worth a seventh round comp pick. So if he stays with the Eagles and he, he qualifies for one of the top 32 picks, then the Vikings will get a seventh. The comp pick he cancels out, remember, four gone, two in. The one he cancels out is Jordan Hicks, whose contract warrants a fourth round right. compensatory selection. The, 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 the round of the comp pick is determined by the size of the contract. So a third rounder for Nick Foles is pretty much locked in. Yeah. The other fourth rounder comes from Golden Tate. Always forget that Golden Tate was on the Eagles for freaking eight <laughs> weeks. Right. So when those cancellations, again, four out, two in. When those cancellations occur, they occur from the bottom up, right? And so even though Hicks is worth a fourth because of his contract and Sadeo is only worth a seventh, well, Hicks is one of the bottom two in terms of size of contract players the Eagles lost that calculated into the formula, and Sandejo and four are two players, so Sandejo cancels out Hicks. In order for the Eagles to get that fourth from Jordan Hicks, one, one of the other comp pick qualifying players, such as Jay Ajayi, could have been signed. Right. However... We have reached the point, we have passed the deadline, which was on Tuesday, either at 4 p.m. or at midnight. We don't actually know, because again, the comp <laughs> thing is all sorcery. That deadline passed. That's why you saw Ezekiel Ansah get signed by the Seahawks, because now uh, he doesn't count as negating a comp pick, and so he would not bring the Jordan Hicks, you know, adding a fifth comp pick signed by another team. The Eagles lost that player, now he's signed by another team. It wouldn't affect the formula anymore, so that's out the window. Right. So now the Eagles need to lose one of Andrew Sandejo and LJ Ford. Now... Can they do this after the deadline? Yes. Sendejo and Four will only count as comp picks signed by Philadelphia, count against the formula, if they are on the roster for 10 games of the 16-game season. Now, I am not sure if it's active roster 46, if it's 53-man. Obviously, nobody's getting practice squatted out of those two. So I'm not sure if it's like a snap count level. There's like, you know, there's the whole like... um, uh, Mike Wallace thing from last year, right? Like how he basically built the contract to try to fool the comp pick formula into thinking Mike Wallace didn't count. Yeah. And Wallace only played like 6% of the snaps. And the Eagles were like, listen, give us the comp pick back. And they didn't. But like <laughs> how he will throw every, like the kitchen sink at the comp pick formula yeah. to try to sneak extra picks out of it. And he only has a couple years left to do it because the new CBA, it's all going to go left anyway in 2020, 2021. And that's a great example of why this whole thing is so confusing to the point where even Howie Roseman isn't sure 100% that he's going to get a comp pick for something and basically got rejected by the NFL trying to work that system that, as we said, is sorcery. Right. Like So I'm reading Nick Cordy over, over the cap. Mike Wallace, uh, one year up to $4 million deal. However, over half of that was in likely-to-be-earned incentives, uh, which 580000 of it, I think, was in a weight bonus. Yeah. And the comp pick doesn't count weight bonuses, right, right. right? So I was like, listen, Wallace, I will give you $4 million. It's just an eighth of it is going to be if you're not over 250 pounds. And then that money won't count as the comp pick. So it's like total, just like, it's the most like bureaucratic, just like red tape loophole nonsense. It's some Belichick But listen, <laughs> how we, like, it's, it's in terms of like comp gained over the past decade, it's like Baltimore's number one and like the Eagles are number two, yeah. right? And so this is... These are free draft picks, and so it's fun, and it's a good time. And, and like, Eagles media and, and subsequent Eagles fans have, like, jumped in on it. Like, I got so many comp pick questions during this year's draft cycle, which, like, you're just not getting in other markets, which is fun. But circling back, if the Eagles can keep Sandejo on the roster even into the regular season, but then eventually move on from him before they reach the 10-game accrued point, they will get the fourth pick back for, for Jordan Hicks. Ooh. And that being said, if this team is, is competing and they do not have good – Third safety, if Rodney McLeod goes down again and they need Sandejo starting, they won't be able to do this. Mm. Uh, and so there's there's obviously a question there. And then also, you know, 
we talk about wanting to play in Philadelphia. If you sign a veteran to a one-year deal with the intention of not keeping him all year, like that doesn't super reflect well in the organization in terms of you know, watching out for veteran players and being a desirable place for one-year deals to be signed. So there's a lot that, that goes into that. But that's the comp pick situation with Sendejo. What the ideal situation is very simply Trey Sullivan slash Blake Countess yeah. slash DeAndre, DeAndre Hall slash Gordon Iguobueke. Somebody plays well enough to be safety three. Yeah. And you can cut Sendejo before the season even starts. Yeah. At 53 man roster cuts, you can move on from him. And that'll that'll just that'll all come out in the wash and no one will think any twice about it, but you've just gained yourself a fourth round pick. So one of those four names, I think, Countess, Sullivan, Hall, Igweke, yeah. One of the four guys. Somebody be a safety three for me. Solve the issue. If I had to guess, it's still Trey Sullivan would be the clubhouse leader. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's obviously, as we talked about, not thrilling. And so hopefully somebody surprises me. If I had to give a prediction, I would say that we get the fourth round pick, compensatory pick back for Andrew Sandejo, and it's Trey Sullivan, and I'll go with Blank Countess as the fourth safety. So that's my prediction right now. We will see come camp time. Um, I want to set up the second position to talk about, and that's going to be the guard position, which Football Outsiders recently highlighted as the Eagles' biggest hole coming into the season as far as depth and starter quality. But first, let's start by giving an update on Brandon Brooks. May 6th, he tweeted out, Quote, had a special moment today, was on the treadmill, and had my last sprint at 14 miles an hour, and the whole weight room, full of teammates, cheer me on. Our group is special, and I sincerely mean that. I thank God for teammates, coaches, and the fans. Hashtag fly, Eagles, fly, unquote. Number one, that sounds like an awesome support system to have. Brooks has always been very about the team and culture, and you just love a guy that also has a tremendously funny personality on top of it all. You root. Brooks is the man. Yeah, he is hilarious. Yeah. You root for guys like that, especially when yeah. they have some money to move around their contract to make sure that Nick Foles could get a little extra after being the Super Bowl MVP, which he tweeted out once it was all finalized. He's like, yo, my man's got to get paid. Number two, what does this tell us about his timetable? Um, I can't say with any kind of confidence that he'll be ready for the season opener. We've talked about him wanting to be ready for training camp, which might set a record for time recovered from, a, from an Achilles tear, which is crazy for a guy his size. He's obviously a valuable piece for the Eagles. Jason Kelsey recently went so far as to say that they were one guard injury away from going to the conference championship game. So he's obviously well-loved and respected in the building. But again, there's the harsh reality that he may not be ready in time for the season. Ben, looking at the current roster, and we'll start with Matt Pryor here, the sixth-round pick in 2018, massive man, 6'7", 332. Mm -hmm. Now, Pryor didn't play a single snap last year, but it still seems like, it feels like, he's the favorite to see meaningful time, or would I be wrong there? No, I I would think so. Now, obviously, we talk about, okay, well, Pryor makes sense as helping in for Brooks because Brooks is a tackle body playing guard and Pryor's a tackle body and he, you know, the Eagles like him at guard. We're assuming there that the Eagles really, really want a big body at right guard. Like it could be, they obviously always have enjoyed and highlighted Brooks's size, but it could very much be that they simply, 
you know, Brooks is a good player who happens to be big, and they don't necessarily need a huge player there, right? Like, Sam Malu is, is is not huge, and he obviously plays at the left guard spot. So maybe it's something that Stoutland likes, having one huge guard for certain sort of play styles and concepts and whatever, you know, hitting these down blocks and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just like a bonus of Brandon Brooks being a good player. Yeah. So I mean, not only is, yeah. is Brooks good, but he's also a fantastic athlete, which fits what we like to do. So it's hard to discern right, the exactly. Two. Right, so it's easy to plug Pryor in for Brooks because of the size comparison. I just don't know that that size is as determining of a factor as we might think it is on the outside. Mm. This going to serve the point of the Eagles brought in overwhelmingly more than any other position guards in undrafted free agent players, right? And obviously, we're talking undrafted free agents here. It's not, you know, uh, uh, the, the strongest guys. But you have Ryan Bates out of Penn State who I put as, when I broke down the groups of, of, of the undrafted free agents, I kind of broke it down in, like, outside shot to make the 53, likely to be practice squatted, and then, like, you know, probably just camp bodies. And base was one of the three players I wrote down as that outside shot and making the 53. I really, really... I noticed Ryan Bates at the combine during the tackle drills. When you're watching these guys move, and Bates, who's clearly smaller than a lot of the tackles who are out there, is just moving with tremendous body control, agility. He's balanced. He's controlled. It's just very, very nice, nice drills. So you go to his tape and you go, okay, this guy cannot play tackle at the next level. He does not have the length. He does not have the size. But as a potential guard center, especially in a scheme that's going to maximize his athletic ability, cough Philadelphia. <laughs> Bates makes a lot of sense. I would have drafted Bates. And and what I understand is that if the Eagles didn't trade their seventh for Hassan Ridgeway, they would have drafted Bates there. Right. That that Bates would have been the selection. So they're very happy to get him as UDFA. He's the most likely out of any of the undrafted free agents, in my opinion, to make the roster as a potential backup sit center slash guard. And so Bates is going to be a guy who's going to push for a 53-man spot and then obviously figuring out who starts at that guard spot. Pryor has a year of experience. He was actually drafted. But if Bates on the 53, then... You know, Bates clearly played well in camp. The other guys that they brought in, Ayeswa Peda out of Waver State. Say that again. I, I was I was giving that to you to say because I want to learn how to say it. Say that again. Well, I think I think it's Ayeswa. Uh, I'm not positive. It looks like a... We're having a lot of problems with these freaking names, man. I mean, it's because it's the players we haven't covered all cycle. You know yeah. what I mean? Nobody told me I was going to have to know how to pronounce Igwebueke again. <laughs> But I like it looks to me to be like an iteration on Joshua, right? Like it looks like yeah, it looks sure. like a. Yeah. I would say so. There's there's obviously now the other guys. There's uh, Nate Herbig right. out of Stanford, who's another huge body. Yeah. His nickname was Big Island, mm-hmm. uh, and Keegan Render out of Iowa, and then uh, and then the uh, the Arkansas kid. They they brought in five. Yeah, Arkansas. I can't remember the Arkansas kid's name, but they brought in five guards. So they are clearly believe that they have a spot in the interior offensive line where somebody can go win a job potentially right yeah. yasua it's joshua yes it's off of joshua so it's yasua opeta yasua yasua there doesn't there's no there's no like capital to show where the emphasis is so it's yasua or yasua can you make that french i can make yeah Fleur. i can make anything <laughs> french by just making an obnoxious voice like but anyway oh you're calling all french people obnoxious that's that's bold ben calling french people obnoxious is bold we've been doing this for like 500 years i feel like <laughs> Go on. Pryor is the backup guard tackle, but there's an empty spot at backup center guard. Yeah. Because Wisniewski is gone. That's what the fight's going to be for. And I think Bates is the best spot at it. I'm really interested to see what Opeta looks like because he's a great athlete. He's super strong. He's most likely a practice squad candidate guy, to be frank. Render and Arkansas, I haven't watched. Herbig. Mm. Herbig is not a big fan of Ben mm. because Ben is very publicly and, and vocally not a big fan of Herbig. And Herbig is aware of this. So... 
I don't think Herbig makes the team, but hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast. He's, he searches. He searches the tweets. Oh, he doesn't just search his name. He searches the names of his teammates. Stanford is big for that. Stanford, like the 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 Stanford, like they finish practice and they all just sit in the locker room and try to find tweets about themselves. Right. I'm positive. Speaking of which, did you see my interaction with the Eagles fourth round pick, Sharif Miller from Penn State, the edge rusher? Did you see that? Yeah, he was uh, he was a little salty, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was nonplussed by my analysis of his functional strength because he had a sack where he caught. Ben Beishwazel, however, however you say it, from Wisconsin. Bo Benchwazel? Yeah, Benchwazel. Just completely off his base, just bad footwork on a stunt and just right. bowled him over. And I was like, this is the kind of rep that makes it look like Sharif Miller is really strong, implying that Sharif Miller lacks functional strength. And he was like, so what's your point? You know, all the laughing emojis. I got a sack, didn't I? You know, that whole thing. So then uh, I quote tweeted him because he, he had put on his timeline without adding me, you know, there's so many coaches on this website and I was like, our friendship is going to be oh. a real touchdown. <laughs> I, like, imagine. But here's my thing. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. Yeah. Here's my thing. Imagine <laughs> getting drafted in the NFL draft yeah. and then caring what's said about you on the internet. I know. It's supposed to be the happiest time of your life. Like, and I get it because, like, you're, you're entering a new fan base and, like, you know, a bunch of people are very quickly levying their opinions on you. And maybe, like, Miller was told he was going to go earlier and he's upset that he went in the fourth round, which... That's a whole different can of worms to unpack if that's the case. I'm pretty sure Miller was told to go back to school, but yeah. Like, your boy just got a four-year <laughs> contract, or three-year for fourth-rounders? Yeah, three-year for fourth-rounders. Yeah. Three-year contract, making over a, a million dollars over the course of that contract. Just be happy with your family. Yeah, man. That'd be my that'd be my advice. You don't have to argue with me. I'm nobody. Anyway, so to me, the biggest interesting camp battle is and we're gonna talk about that after the break oh wow wow support for this podcast comes from smart water life moves pretty fast are you drinking water that can keep up smart water alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated no matter where your day takes you whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea smart water alkaline can help you perform your best it delivers a pure crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And we are back here on the Kiston Solak Show, episode 94. Ben, you were about to talk about a, a camp battle, if I'm not mistaken. Well, oh, I was? Yeah. I, I was. I could hardly remember what it was we were discussing before it was sent to commercial. Yeah, I think someone very rudely cut you off. It wasn't me. I have no control over this. To me, the most interesting camp battle is... Like, it's like the Eagles offensive line depth versus how many roster spots they have. Like, that's like, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that's what's, I think you you have seven locks. The starting five, Andre Dillard, Mylotta. Hmm. Oh, man. I, there might be eight locks. They're not getting rid of Pryor, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the problem because when we talk about dra drafting a tackle, we often said, well, how do we protect Mylotta in that situation? And our solution has been trade Big V. Now, our solution has always right. been trade Big V, but now even more so because you want to protect my lot. At least we understand that the staff does because if we put him on the practice squad, someone's stealing him. And that's the thing. is like, like, like this, I don't want to talk about this. And it's something we haven't talked about <laughs> since they drafted Diller. But the moment they drafted Diller, we have to have the conversation. It's a tough conversation, Eagles fans. But we have to have it. The my lot of pick was like, let's see if we can make this guy into something by the time Jason Peters leaves. Let me tell you. They drafted Dillard. Which, like, you know, they obviously didn't know in 2018 in the seventh round they were going to draft a 2019 round one tackle. They didn't know what the class was going to be yeah. like, where they were going to be picking, and who was going to fall. The moment they draft Dillard, protecting Mylotta becomes far less 
it just doesn't matter as much. Do you feel like, like they, they don't with my Lada, him being such a unicorn that when he was drafted and he looked okay in preseason, that fans shot an arrow and then painted a bullseye around it and said, this is the guy of the future. Like I, I wrote the, the feature piece on my Lada during the preseason. Yeah. Wonderful dude. Tremendous growth. Very exciting. Couldn't root for him harder. But when you look well, for Philadelphia, if you are this year, Peters, Johnson, Big V, Mylotta with prior as guard tackle, boom, you're exactly where you wanted to be in 2018. You're fine. Right. Big V is your decent backup guy. Mylotta is your developmental guy for when Peters leaves. Prior can play tackle for you in a pinch. We're sold. Like, we're locked in. It's not a problem. Once you introduce Dillard, which is obviously a pick you made, but once you introduce Dillard, especially if you're not able to get rid of Big V, which we know they're going to try to. Right. They have to. Yeah. But especially if you're not going to get rid of Big V. What do you do? It's very, very hard to protect my lotta. Can he play And also, it doesn't – it just doesn't matter as much. Right. Like, like, like yeah. if he's going to be successful, it's still a very, very narrow piece of the pie. It's a very, very narrow possibility. You, you, it's, you have to go let it be somewhere else yeah. because Dillard is now your tackle of the future, yeah. right? It's kind of like uh, the Andrew Villanueva situation. They just didn't have the time to develop. He ends up being a very good football player for the Steelers down yeah. the line, but we didn't have a spot for him. Right. And when you think about it too, let's understand the timing of this because I think people are really rushing Mylotta into being something that he's not yet. We talk about college prospects. Like for instance, I'll give an example of uh, David Edwards out of Wisconsin. And we talk about his experience of only three years at the position getting coaching at Wisconsin, very good line coach, getting very good coaching at the college level for three years, and we call that inexperience, then he's got upside. Well, what is my lotta? Like, let's be honest about that and, and the timing that that's going to require from the Eagles as well. Yeah, and so what it comes what, – what, what like, once Dillard is selected, unless Big V leaves, I don't see how the Eagles roster my lotta. And so if he's not rostered, he's going to end up somewhere else. And that's we should start to adjust to that reality, which I love my lot. Like I said, as much as anybody will find, but it's hard. <laughs> so to me, the big area. So so if you're locking in seven with Dillard and Pryor as the backups that you're probably locking in, Big V is the huge question mark. If he's on the team, obviously he's a lock. If he's not, then he's not. Like the Eagles. If it's Dillard, Pryor, Mylotta, or Dillard, Pryor, and Vitae, they need another interior guy who currently they do not have anybody in the roster, right? It's Anthony Fabiano. That's the only, like, non-UDFA rostered guy. Yeah. That ninth spot, like, they have to get an interior guy in there, right? <laughs> and so it's going to be a battle of those undrafted free agents with potentially street free agent guys. Like, you know, um, the Kansas City guy, Jeff Allen, the one who, like, he played under Peterson in Kansas City. Right went to Houston when they lost Brandon Brooks, and then he was subsequently cut by the Texans. He's a guy who Peterson's worked with before. We could potentially come in. But right now, the, the most interesting camp battle to me is who is Kelsey's backup, and if it's Sayamalo, who's Sayamalo's backup? Yeah. Especially when you wonder how healthy Brooks is. Right. So the path, the, this basically going to say, I'm telling you right now in May, the path for Ryan Bates making the 53-man roster is decently wide. Yeah. It's a decently sized path. For a guard center. Obviously, Bates here, like if Opeta outplays him, it's Opeta. But like the best guard in UDFA camp and rookie camp, which starts this week, is going to enter training camp with machinations for that spot. Yeah, I agree. I think Bates has a really good path to make this roster. And it's going to be fascinating to see how everything works out with how many people you keep. And speaking how many people you keep, you talk about the running back position. Can you, yep. be can you believe 
Can you believe if they keep five running backs, one of them is Danelle Pumphrey, and that means that Jordan Mailata goes on the practice squad, and people will erupt, and they will all blame you, Ben. There's no way they're going to have I enough know. room for that, because this know. team's going to have to keep 12 defensive backs yeah. and the kind of players they have there right now, but it doesn't matter. Exactly. But let's talk about the running back position. So let's say if the Eagles only keep one running back as a fourth, okay, so keep in mind that the first three would be likely be Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, and Corey Clement. Not even likely. I mean, that's what it is. Ben, for this exercise, let's say that Darren Sproles isn't returning to the team. That leaves you with Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, both who had a decent amount of playing time last year. Adams ran for 511 yards, 4.3 average, three touchdowns. Smallwood added 364, 4.2 per tote, and three touchdowns. Then you're looking at Nico Evans. I honestly don't even know who that is. Wyoming kid? Oh, yeah. Now it makes sense. Okay. I just haven't watched him. Nico Evans, Danelle Pumphrey, and Boston Scott. I'm just taking a wild stab at this. But I'm going to guess that your favorite to win that fourth running back spot would be your new bay, Boston Scott. Am I correct? Yeah, no, it would be. I mean, so like if I guess you, if I guess yours, is it Josh Adams? No, I actually I actually think it's Boston Scott. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing about Boston Scott is we know the least about him. And so he's the best chance to actually be good. It's the backup quarterback situation where he's always the most popular in town. All right. Exactly. Like, we know a lot about Pumphrey. Yeah. We know a lot, a lot about Smallwood. Mm-hmm. And we know a fair bit about Adams. We don't know much about Scott. So who is probably the best? Scott. Which What does that tell you about the other three? Yeah. That's my, my big point. Like, I talked about, like, when I was talking about how many touches Sanders is going to get, I said, like, okay, you know, Howard got X amount at Chicago. If Darren Sproles comes back, then how much room is there for Sanders? And I was hit with a ton of, like, I don't think Sproles comes back. Well, here's the thing. I think the Eagles... Don't necessarily bring Sproles back anytime soon, but I think when you get through rookie minicamp and training camp and you see what Danelle Pumphrey, Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Boston Scott, and Nico Evans are offering you, I think you're going to call Darren Sproles pretty quick and be like, hey, you want to play one more year? I don't know if you're going to be getting a good player out of that last group, which obviously do you need four running backs? Potentially not. How healthy is Corey Clement? Can he take over the receiving back role? There are conversations to be had here, but I don't think the Eagles and Sproles are done by any means. I think there's very... I think Sproles is absolutely like a Corey Graham was last year in the sense of like, all right, we're going to see what we have in camp. But if we don't like it, we know Sproles can come in, get seven touches for us a game and provide some juice. You know what I mean? And so I wouldn't I wouldn't be sold on Sproles not coming back until I hear from Sproles, you know, outright like, hey, like I'm retired. Like there's no way I'm coming back. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, Boston Scott is the most interesting player to me in terms of to figure it out. And he's obviously got the Darren Sproles body type, some of the Darren Sproles skill set. And so he would be my... uh, a guy I would I would circle as wide receiver four or excuse me running back four. I do want to make a quick comment about the edge room. Make make a quick comment about the edge room. You may. The floor is yours. Brandon Graham. Yeah. Derek Barnett. Mm-hmm. Vinnie Curry. Correct. Josh Sweat on the roster. Sharif Miller. Yep. Deshaun Hall. Right. Joe Osman. Right. Do you feel like we need to add anybody to that, Mike? No, I don't. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was good. Quick conversation. Yeah. Good talk. I mean, especially especially a guy that's going to want starter reps that is actually has to choose to sign here, like somebody like Ziggy Ansah, that might miss the For first example. month of the season. Anyway. Yeah. I love the fact that the coaching <laughs> staff is like, oh, darn, Stephen Means is gone. <laughs> Joe Osman. Right. Like, I, there's nothing kills me more than, like, everybody being like, yo, Joe Osman. The coaching staff loves him. Yeah. Can he push the 53-man roster? Like, we've asked this about Stephen Means for, like, three years. I wrote an article about Stephen Means in the in the preseason last year, and I said, I love this guy. He deserves a shot. 
it's going to have to be somewhere else right after. after and gonna, everyone right. was like, no, no way, no way. They can't let him go because of this. Th-. And then they cut him and then he ended up somewhere else. Which <laughs> that would have been right. And that would have been my response to the article. I would have been like, you can't cut Steve Means. Steve Means is the Lord. Yeah. But now it's Joe Osborne, yeah. right? It's just like Joe is. And, 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 and the point that's brought up is he's super Philly and he is. Yeah. But anyway, just to me right now, they have seven bodies of the position, three of whom they've drafted in, in, in recent years. Other three they've acquired, whether undrafted free agent or for, or regular free agent market, and then it's Brandon Graham. Right. And so, like, they, they have six bodies out of the seven bodies they have gone out and gotten over the last two years. Correct. So I just do not think that there's going to be a significant movement at that position. We're obviously assuming Chris Long is gone. It seems like they have a plan in place. It seems like they, they've got it figured out what they want to do, essentially, yeah. in my eyes. Yeah, there's no real, like, roster battle there, except for, like, who is... Can somebody push Josh Sweat for edge four? Right. Who can who can get those rotational snaps, essentially? Yeah. I think Sweat is the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. And then I would say if anybody can push it, it's probably Deshaun Hall. But even then, like, I, I don't really anticipate. I don't think Miller is going to be able to push for anything until next year. Yeah. Like, I think he needs two off-seasons, yeah, training programs, all that. And then I guess what we could say, the, the other big roster battle that sticks out to me then, the remaining one, is just how do you figure out the secondary? How do you figure out the starting five? What does it look like? There's so many different iterations that there's a ton of work to do. And this won't be rookie minicamp, but it'll be training camp. Yeah, and a quick note on that. For instance, I'm going through my pro scouting evals for the summer like I do every year. Just kind of refresh myself on what NFL play looks like. So when I look at these 2020 prospects for next year, I can recalibrate you know, how I see things. I do a lot of different stuff in the offseason, clinics. We get it. You work hard. Scheme stuff, all that, just to kind of, again, recalibrate myself. But the two players I am looking at and will be fully evaling and kind of comparing each other by proxy is Rasul Douglas, Jalen Mills. Because like you said, the five different starting positions and nickel is a starter for the Eagles because they're in base only 25% of the time. The five starting different combinations could be anything, especially with Avante Maddox, who is like the ultimate like Joker wild card type situation where you can plug him in pretty much anywhere. Like, is he the starting nickel or is it Avante or is right. it Sidney Jones or is it Cravon LeBlanc and it's Jones outside? Like, there's so many different moving pieces to the secondary. I'm fascinated to see because we're, we're going to know start training camp. Who is getting a bunch of those nickel reps? And then we're going to have a favorite there. And then that's going to shift. And then we're going to see how they do in the preseason. It's going to be a continuing, evolving situation. I hope Russell Douglas beats out Jalen Mills for the starting position. But Schwartz loves Mills so much that you never know. I have no idea what they're going to do with Sidney Jones. And again, Avante Maddox being the wild card there. So, yeah, that that's going to be fascinating to see how that all works out. Right. Last position. Do you, do you want to hit on linebacker just real quick just so we can put our expectation out there? Because the Eagles signed Zach Brown. One year, $3 million from the Washington Redskins. He was PFF's third highest graded off-ball linebacker last year, which I'm not sure I agree with, but I do like Brown's game. I watched a lot of the Redskins in prep for their right. games. Mason Foster was buns. Zach Brown was pretty good. So I like the signing. Remember when we watched Mason Foster tape before the first Redskins game? We were dying We were laughing. like, dude, what's happening? <laughs> he was so bad. It was comically bad. I remember going through like one drive and going like, there are seven plays in this drive where I'm like, running out of my office into the hallway to hail Doug and go, dude, you got to look at this. This is it right here. This is the guy. We found it. We found it. <laughs> Luckily, Zach Brown was not that guy, but we signed him. So then you got to think about, okay, who's who's after that? Who's six on the roster? I think LJ Fort definitely six on the roster. He was a priority signing for the Eagles. Once a chance to start, they obviously gave him the big you know song and dance. He's got $1.9 million in guarantees. So I think he sticks. Then you also have Camus Grugier-Hill, 
I think he's in there. And then after that, you're looking at Paul Warlow. You're looking at Nick Gary and a bunch of what was there was a Wisconsin guy. There is a Stanford guy in the mix. As Asante Brown, who has the weirdest hive of fans I've ever met in my entire life. Asante well, Br- I've met any of them. Who, ha- who is Asante, Asante Brown? Brown? He has a hive? Western Michigan. Yeah, led by Bo Wolf, of all people. Oh, goodness. Bo, who makes fun of me for liking Josh Sweat. <laughs> Asante Brown is a 215-pound linebacker out of Western Michigan undrafted last year. Who like had some flash plays because he's two hundred fifteen pounds. Did, he, did they? Uh, we'll see. Go out we'll to see. dinner together. He's like, what's, what's the story behind that? It's just it's just like there's there's like a decent number of people who are like Asante Brown really flash in the preseason, and it's like, okay, I missed them anyway. <laughs> right here, my main thing is this: if the starting two linebackers are Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown, yeah, Bradham who had a really good twenty seventeen year in coverage. Correct. And then regress towards the mean in 2018 needs to have an above average year again. I agree. Um, which I think he was above average last year too, but he needs to have a strong year in coverage because Brown's strength really isn't coverage. Let's talk. Let, let me. I'll put in my opinion on that briefly. 2017, I thought he was one of the best five coverage linebackers in the league. 2018, just scattershot. Some really good games, some really awful games. For instance, the Bears game, fantastic. He was awesome in coverage. The Saints game had no clue what he was doing. So it was all over the place with him. And it's worth noting that the Eagles played a lot more of their traditional base defense in 2017. And then 2018, as we documented during the year, had to start throwing some curveballs <laughs> because uh, of the injuries that they were having in the secondary. And so you're obviously asking different things of your linebackers. Right. Then. And so there's a there's a, a mitigating consideration there. But they need Bradham to return to that coverage form because that's really not Brown's strength. And Brown can only do simple things there, in my opinion. I think the Eagles ideally see enough from Grugier Hill to start yes. Bradham Grugier Hill and have Brown be the third linebacker. Yeah. I think that's ideal. Mm-hmm. You need to see a step forward in Grugier Hill, which is perfectly valid, right? Like Grugier Hill is a player who... Is in is going to be coming into his fourth season, fifth season. There's still absolutely room for him to continue developing. Hasn't been starting for long term anyway. I think that's ideal for them. The guy who I circle as the clock's ticking is Nate Gary, yeah. right? Like Gary's big time. They want him to be the dime backer. Where this will be year three for him. If he can't perform better than Fort, and Fort brings more on special teams, you know, I think that they keep Warlow. I think they keep Fort, and they cut it at five, and Gary's gone. That'd yeah. be my guess for you know four months out yeah nate gary is a guy that that clock is definitely ticking and, and you said Camus. you know I, I think he's got the potential to be a replacement level starter linebacker this year i thought he played really well last year i thought he played very good in the preseason there were fantastic flashes he just needs to continue to make those steps right unfortunately and, develop and is, just, development is not linear so we'll see yeah and, and and a lot of it is what you expect is just more starting time leads to better instincts right. and like intuition is something we rarely talk about which is super important which is just like you just get a feel for playing linebacker by playing linebacker. Mm-hmm. You get a feel for playing wide receiver by playing wide receiver. It's part of you. You need experience. You need reps. You need to play poorly, play well, play poorly, play well, and you just get a better feel. There's intuition that becomes just naturally ingrained, and, and that's something that you hope to see from Grugier Hill, who's never been a, a full time starter. In a crazy comparison, I'm not trying to compare their situations at all, but talking about intuition, I mean, I remember watching, and this name instantly popped in my head when you said that word. Prepping for the Carolina Panthers last year, Luke Keekley. One of the most intuitive linebackers in the game just sees sure. it. He's seen it a thousand times, just sees it at a different level, and he can make plays for that reasons. And obviously that got better over time for him, and he's at the point where it's just, you know, nothing surprises right. him. A lot of things can surprise you as a young linebacker in this league, especially when you're making a position change. And it's hard to retrain your eyes to be able to have those instincts. So that's something he's got to learn over time. Sure. We'll see if he makes that step. Obviously, I'm not calling him Luke Keekley. That'll be the quote. Now, now in two days, Whoa, in two Michael days, Michael Kiss, Kamugurje Hill is the next Luke Keekley. I've called Kamugurje Hill Luke Keekley, and I've called Clayton Thorson Peyton Manning in the last two days. 
That's happened. Welcome to the offseason where everybody is good and nobody will be bad. That's right. Get ready for those training camp fluff stories, man. Ben. Bring me training camp highlights. <laughs> Bring them to me now. Yeah. I need overreactions on every single one-on-one wide receiver versus cornerback drill on the planet. That's what I need in my life because those are the important ones. Ben, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? Hello. Thank you for listening to the Kiston Solak Show here on Bleeding Green Nation, BGN Radio. We do appreciate you coming by, listening to the podcast, hanging out, having some fun, having some laughs. I'm Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and leave a five-star rating, a review, and go ahead and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts. Though we really only check iTunes, if I'm being honest. That's correct. There will be more episodes of more shows in the subsequent days because Mike is very good at his job. <laughs> I don't know when the next episode of this show is because it is the off season and we haven't talked about it yet. You are nice. Do nice things. We are friends. Goodbye forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles fly. Yeah.